Dave Parker is the CEO of Codefellows, an in-person code school offering web and mobile development training in Seattle, Portland, and Chicago. Dave, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. We've done a lot of shows on Software Engineering Daily about coding boot camps, and each boot camp seems to have its own unique flavor. What makes Codefellows unique? Uh, you bet. So I think that the thing that's unique about Codefellows is really its history. We've been around for two and a half years, and we started as uh, Andy Sack was the, the chairman, who's still a chairman, and was the founder. And it was around the whole idea of development accelerator. At the time, Andy was running Techstars here in Seattle. And one of the ongoing problems, as you guys know, is that you've got some great companies that are now getting funded through Techstars and have a lack, a lack of development talent. So that program originally got started as um, Development Accelerator to really help find more dev talent for startups. And it's still today about 20% of our talent goes to startups as early employees or founders and co-founders. Hmm. So um, I read a quote from you that said, the Code Fellow story is about people who want to make a career change. When your goal is to serve students who are making a career shift, how does that change the expectations and the structure of your coursework? Yeah, I think that the the history there, Jeff, is our our average student is in the twenty five to thirty five year old range. We definitely have them that skew younger and older, both. But most are in that point where they've realized they've put their ladder in their career up against the wrong wall and they hit the ceiling way too early. So for most of us, that means we get out of college, we take a, a job in the first industry that that kind of gives us a decent offer and that may be in hospitality or food and beverage or paralegal or maybe a sysadmin in the tech side and we realize that uh, we really want to f- get a better opportunity so we've, we've pretty much capped out early and then folks start looking around and talking to people that they know that are in tech like you and they're always they're, they're those friends you know Jeff right now who are like dude I so got to get into tech what should I do and most of our customers here in Seattle come through that word of mouth because they're like, listen, you've been talking about getting into tech. Just go take the code, fellows, the code 101 course and decide whether it's really for you or not. So our demographic is really people who are in that career transition. We still pick up some stack switchers and people who are coming out of a CS degree but don't have the finishing school skills to get into JavaScript or the, the necessarily the place they want to they work with the skill set. Um, so we pick up a few of those as well. But if you look at the majority, the, the center of our bell curve is really those career switchers. Mm. And so they're coming from places like law and uh, hospitality, you said. What what other areas are they coming from? A lot of them are around technical roles, but they're, in, they're specifically in non-technical roles. So maybe I'm a sysadmin or I'm in QA test or I'm, a, um, I'm in the product side, but I'm not a product manager. Uh, so we see a lot of fo- folks who come in on the product side who want to be more technical, they may end up not being a coder in the traditional sense, but they may end up being a rock star product manager because now they understand the scope that it takes to actually build the thing you're talking about and bridge the gap between the coder and the the business people who generally don't have a clue about how much it takes to build something. So the new influx of people who are learning to code amps up the supply side of the uh, job marketplace. What about the demand side? Are there a rising? I mean, this is kind of a uh, obvious question. Obvi- it has sure. an obvious answer to this, but like, where where is the demand 
coming from? Like, who are the companies that really have a desperate uh, desire to hire graduates of these boot camps? Yeah, like the, if you look at the math that we saw from the course report here just recently, the math basically said if every computer science program across the country uh, increased by fifty percent, we'd we'd meet at roughly thirty-five or forty percent of the total demand for tech jobs. <laughs> So if you then add H-1B visas to it, that's another 2% of, H- of the jobs, which still leaves you somewhere l- greater than 50% of the jobs that are available. If all the code schools across the U.S. doubled, we might get to 50%. So I think that one of the trends that we see, there's both, for us, it, our grads typically go to mid-market companies. So they go to an Expedia or somebody like that. So they're not going to Google and Facebook today. Um, but they are going to mid-market companies. And in, in the case of an Expedia, Expedia has acquired a bunch of different companies, so they need a lot of different stack experience. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the stack experience is less important, uh, the specific stack experience for the code grads or code fellows grads in particular. It's really about the desire to learn, change, and be aggressive about your career. So if you take um, one of our grads who's a uh, 30-year-old single mom who is switching careers, um, she'll go and interview for that job against a freshly mounted CS grad who knows how to play guitar and juggle but doesn't have any real-world experience. Um, what you'll find is that um, Code Fellows grad will do really well in those interviews because they're, they've just come out of 10 weeks of getting their butt kicked. They're super aggressive about it. They've been working as a team. They have real-world experience. And what they're trying to do is really um, find a great career opportunity for themselves. It doesn't say that CS isn't important by any means. I think it's totally important. Um, I think it's just a matter of they're, they're really apples and oranges. Yeah. Well, so, okay, let's talk more about that because we've done a bunch of shows about coding boot camps. And one question that always comes up is, what is the value of a coding boot camp versus the value of traditional college? So when you talk to people from coding boot camps and people who have graduated with computer science degrees, uh, or maybe people who have done both, how? Like, I mean, how do they compare? And just from your experience in the field, yeah, I, definitely the the you know the senior person who has a CS degree from a, a great school. Um, are going to be in super high demand because they know more than just a specific stack or language. They know algorithms and how to think about structure and database, and that experience is invaluable. I, but I think of some of our um, veterans who are coming out of four years of a uh, tour of duty and don't really want to go back to another four years of structure to finish their CS degree, and maybe they worked their way through college and couldn't get into the CS school. So for for that profile of a person, they they have the intelligence to do it, they have the ability to do it, they're quick study. Um, so getting into a ten week program that gives them a chance to, instead of taking two years to focus on CS, they can spend ten weeks focused on a particular stack. Those folks are bringing in real world experience and leadership and training to say, okay, I want to go get a job in this field. So I don't think they're you know they're clearly not CS grads, and that's not the way we portray them. And a lot of the folks in our industry, some of our competitors, will talk about, "Oh, we want to reinvent the way education is done." Um, whether education needs to be reinvented or not is a different topic. Mm. What we're doing is job readiness for highly motivated people who want a career with an upside. So they're very different functions. They have the same title in some cases when, they, when they're done. They're going to be a, uh, a developer or a junior developer or a full stack developer. 
but their experience is totally different. Yeah, no, that that focus makes a lot of sense. Um, and you know, one thing I think about with these boot camps versus college things, like you've got a boot camp on one side, and it's like ten or fifteen or twenty weeks, and then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got college, and it's like five years, and it's like obviously these things are going to be totally orthogonal. They're like I think I think I was making you know early on when I was doing these these, these shows, these shows on different boot camps, and I was like looking at the results of these boot camp graduates. And honestly, I was a little bit envious because I went through college, my five years of college, and and I look at these boot camp graduates and they're graduating, they're making awesome apps and doing all the cool stuff that I like to do when I, when I finished my degree. And they got those skills in like 12 weeks and I was a little envious and it made me a little resentful of college. But as things have progressed, I've kind of realized that these are really like pretty orthogonal experiences totally yeah and i would say that there's you know i've got two college-age kids right now who both happen to be in code school by the way and because the challenge there is that you know college is typically it's a lagger as it relates to great jobs great skill sets so even the the things that they're teaching today at some of our competitors like you know the university of phoenix is still teaching sysadmin skills (laughs) Well, AWS has vaporized that entire market. So what they've been good at is they've been good at taking people's tuition, but not delivering on the promise of getting people jobs. Wait, but so your kids are eschewing college. Are, are both my 23-year-old and 20-year-old are currently in code school. The 23-year-old finishes his associate's degree and is a musician. And the 20-year-old um, is taking a break from his, uh, his second year of college to take code school. Um, because he's he's much more of an entrepreneur and is much more likely to be doing a startup a year from now than uh, being in college. That's great. What code schools are they attending? Just so happens they're here at Codefellows. Okay, awesome, interesting. You are really dog fooding your product. I see. It is definitely the case. It's <laughs> one of the things we did, Jeff, early on when I came here was. You know, the 401 program, or what we originally called our development accelerator, is that 10 week program you were talking about. And it's stack specific. So we do iOS and JavaScript and uh, Ruby and Python and front end dev UX UI is the five stacks. But what we found was we only took 18% of the people into that program. Um, and we, so in, we, we basically in August and September retooled our curriculum to say, how do we get people ready for that program? Because what you find is, if you think of the average person being, you know, the 25 to 35 year old, I'm motivated. I'm willing to do classes at night or during the day. I'm quitting my day job to pursue a new career in tech. So I'm highly motivated to finish. It's not about the grade. Mm-hmm. It's about getting the job. Yeah. So we introduced a new program called the Code 101. It's a one-day, $99 course. We feed them. It's 10 hours long. They get an experience of what code school will be like. And they're really going to try to answer the question, is this for me or not? So we have people come in and talk about careers in tech. We have TAs talk about their experience in code school. And we really want them to walk out. And if if the answer is, this isn't for you, awesome, right? Because we're not in the business of taking tuition. We're in the business of getting people jobs. Right. Okay. So speaking of perhaps being in the business of taking people's tuitions, on the opposite end of the spectrum of college, there are online courses. And then somewhere, somewhere in between sits coding boot camps like Codefellas. But these online courses, uh, you know, you mentioned University of Phoenix as kind of overpromising and underdelivering. Are there online courses that are actually worth it? Like ones where you have to pay, 
where uh, students will get really good results? So I think there's the, the challenge with online courses, and there's some amazing ones. If you remember a couple of years ago, like Coursera, and all the universities were concerned that the, the MOOCs were going to put them out of business. I think the things we learned in the maturation of that process was that the MOOCs were in the business of delivering online content, but people just don't finish the online content. So only 2 to 3% of the people who actually start a course actually complete it. Um, so you can get those courses for cheap. I learned PHP and uh, HTML and CSS through an, an online course. And then I, I found out later I was in the 3% of people who actually finished it. <sighs> so you've got online, you've got this idea of hybrid courses. Hybrid courses to me are still, the jury's still out there. It's a question of if I'm motivated, can I do distance learning and a combination of online and offline? And I think the answer is, I think that, I think they will work, but the jury's still out there. And then you have the, the boot camp experience, which is immersive, full-time. You know, our students in the in courses are going to spend 60 hours a week. Um, so they're very focused on uh, the course while they're here. There's homework every day. They're working individually, but they're also working on teams. Um, and they're also working on projects. And I think one of the challenges you have, and we see it all the time in our Portland office with Code Oregon Labs, is Code Oregon is a program for Oregon um, state residents where they get to use Treehouse for free. The challenge is, is you get to a point and you get stuck and you have nobody you can ask. So Code Oregon Labs is a weekly lab that we run for people that are part of Code Oregon where they can come in and meet with a guy like you. And they don't have to be an instructor. They could be one of our grads or one of our TAs or somebody who's just an instructor and a volunteer. And it's free for them because it's a chance for them to get unstuck. Mm. And you know that's the – if you don't know where to go look on Stack Overflow for something or you don't know where to find something on GitHub, um, having somebody who can help you do that is amazing. Yeah. So the immersive programs, the thing is so critical about them is I have to work with other people every day. I have to deliver a project at the end of the project term. So week five and week ten are both project weeks. Uh, and even in our 201 and 301 courses, the four-week courses, you still have the, the fourth week of both of those are still projects. So if you're a hiring manager or you're part of somebody's team and you're doing interviews of a code school grad, the question is not just can you code and can you write, you know, do a whiteboard test, which I think is completely unrealistic for the job placement market. Yeah. It's do is this person somebody I want on my team? Right? Am I going to have to push them or is there somebody here like, wow, they're really asking great questions yeah, and, and so coders. so speaking of that, I think one of the things I love about boot camps is the rigor and the expectation. Uh, and this is like baked into the phrase boot camp. Like when I think about an army boot camp, like an army boot camp is much of it is about teaching discipline. It's not teaching you how to shoot a gun. Um, and so, I mean, I'm curious, like as a CEO of a boot camp, do you have to become more of a disciplinarian for your students? Because it, it seems like, you know, it's not as, like you said, it's not, you're not teaching computer science. I mean, there are elements of the computer science, but you're teaching, you're finding a way to get people a job. And I think a lot of that is really about discipline. Well, I think it starts off with our, our front end interview process, Jeff, is one of the things that we do is mm. we believe feedback's a gift, right? And in most cases, what you have is you have a, a culture and an employment world out there that isn't used to the binary world or the shame of a get, you know, the ability to shame somebody on get, right? So 
the nice thing about the code world, and I was just laughing with one of the 201 gals who's out, 50% of our current students in this class are women. And uh, uh, I heard this, whoa, it doesn't work. The thing I love about what we do is it either works or it doesn't work. Right? There's no hiding from that in this industry. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a, the thing I love about being around a meritocracy is if you can write code, it doesn't matter whether you went to junior college or somewhere else or code school. Right? What matters is can you do the job or not? Now, I would love it if I would say it's, you know, we, we don't see other things. We don't see gender. We don't see, we still do, but it's, this is more of a meritocracy than any, any other opportunity that I've ever worked for. So we interview people at the front end of the process and we say, listen, if it's going to be hard for you to get a job, because I'll pick on one of the 10 topics. I wrote a blog post about the 10 reasons you won't get a job, right? You already know the answer to everything, or you need to bathe, or you know your mustache wax is more important to you than getting a great job. If you're a kick-ass dev, you can be as quirky as hell. But if you're a brand new code school grad, you have to put some of the quirky aside, go get a kick-ass job, do amazing work for an amazing company, and then you can be quirky as hell. But somebody needs to tell you that up front. So in the interview process, if we think there's going to be things that will keep you from getting a placement and we track our placement rate really, really uh, acutely, right? And then we're going to give you that feedback. And if you don't like the feedback, you don't have to come here because we don't want your tuition. We want you to get a job. And if the things you're doing will keep you from getting a job, we're going to tell you. So if during class you're being disruptive, you're not a good team member, I will let people know, the instructor will let them know first, Hey, listen, if you keep doing this, we're, we're going we're gonna to fire you and we'll just give you a pro rata refund on your, on your tuition, right? Or if you're going to tap out, tap out. We'll give you a pro rata refund because it's about getting the job. It's not about getting a grade. And I think that's the great thing about the development of the code schools in general. But, you know, it's fun for me to come in every day and hear people's stories. And when you have graduation, uh, we, don't, we don't call them demo days. Just, it's just a graduation for us. Um, people come in and talk about I was doing this and now I'm doing this and you know this is the change my life angle on it is definitely the draw for me as a CEO. Mm. Um, I came from two and a half years at a nonprofit at Up Global, which was Startup Weekend and Startup America's merger, and we were doing events worldwide, right? And I was like, wow, what am I going to do where I get to make a difference in people's lives every day? And the answer was, this was a great landing place for me. Now, does it mean that we should take people's tuition just to take people's tuition? Absolutely not. This is not in our. It's not in our core values of who we are. We want people to get jobs, um, it, and it does mean there's challenges with it because you have people who come in who who know tech is more of a meritocracy. Um, somebody who's a transgender person who wants to get a job in tech, um, will the hiring manager look at them differently even though they shouldn't? Well, can they cut code or not? Is the first question. So I love that that we get to start with. Can I do the job? And then I still have to work through those issues, but at least I know with you came through code school, you're going to be able to do the job. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk some about the coursework. What are the languages that code fellows classes are taught in? So the 201 classes, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Um, the 201 is really a front end. It's really an intro prerequisite class um, that really is around website development, not, not web app development. So that first four weeks is really prerequisite. The second four weeks are our four weeks of our 301 class, 
is designed around web app development. So that's JavaScript front-end, JavaScript back-end. So the universality there is it's JavaScript through and through. That way, if we send you to iOS, you're prepared for that as well. Um, so those are the those are the prerequisites class. And what we're finding with that, Jeff, is that people will come in and say, "Well, I can't take I can't do ten weeks off, or I can't do eighteen weeks off." But I but what I can do is I can do four weeks full time or eight weeks full time or sixteen weeks part time. So for the person who's really in a you know I've got a mortgage, I've got a family, I still want to do this part time, and I'm switching then careers from one job at fifteen bucks an hour in hospitality to another job at fifteen bucks an hour in tech. But at least I have upside in the tech industry side. Yeah. So those are really prerequisites. We don't do the job offer guarantee um, with with those courses because they're really prereqs. Then on the the 401 courses, or what we used to call a development accelerators, there's five stacks that we teach on. So iOS, we haven't launched the Android class yet, but we expect to in the not too distant future. Um, UX, UI, so all front end dev, um, Ruby, Python, and JavaScript. So the trajectory for somebody who has never, ever written a line of code, if they want to come into CodeFellows, they take the Code 101, which is like $99 for one day, and then they go they progress to the 201, which is how much? It's, it's four weeks. It's $3,500. Okay. That's the front-end web. Um, if they proceed then to that, they go through the, the 301, which is four weeks and $4,500. And it's all back-end API okay. um, database. And then, then they are able to choose their stack. And the stack then is a 10-week, $12,000 course. Um, we have a 97% placement rate for that um, course. 94% at 90 days and 97% at nine months. Wow. Okay. Um so tell me more about the curriculum. Like, is it project based, or like, how do you? What are the keys to teaching boot camp students? So the first, so if you look at the ten week program, week five and week ten are both project weeks. So if you look at the first four weeks, it's prepping them for the first project. So if you take iOS as an example, they may do the same project in week five and week ten, but for the most part, they're different projects. So the project scope is going to be less in week five, and then the project scope will be greater in week 10. Mm. The other thing we're in the process of doing, Jeff, is because originally that felt a lot like a startup weekend. So I've been head down grinding for four weeks, and then it's like, hey, it's project week. Pitch a project like a startup weekend on a Friday night where you're like, my name is Dave. Here's my project idea. Let's do a my keg is empty in my kegerator app. It's like, okay, well, that is a project. It's just not a very interesting project. Uh-huh. And what I mean by interesting is, not is it fun to build, it's when I go tell a hiring manager about the project I worked on in week five and week 10, are the projects interesting and does it require me to stop and think about solving a problem versus jumping in and just coding first? So one of the things we're working on is a curated project list and we're working with um, a number of nonprofits here locally to create a list of nonprofits for the 201 as an example, where it's like, hey, they just need a new website. Here's a list of nonprofits, and you actually have something in your portfolio that's not just a portfolio piece. It's actually a meaningful, live, used piece. And the same is true on the web app side for a 301, right? Can we build something using open data architecture and hack the dot or hack the central district uh, for the city of Seattle where there's, there's an app that we've created that no one would ever create because there's no money in it? So as you look at that again going into the 401, the idea of curated problems 
starts off with, here's an interesting problem to solve. So I was working with Google.org at Up Global before I left. And one of the things we talked about was, if I'm a blind person, I have to take a different bus. How do I orient myself when I get off the bus to know which way is north? Right? That's, it's something a mobile phone, a smartphone can solve, but you can't just jump in and program an app. You actually have to think about the hard problem you're trying to solve first. Mm. So what I love about those is you have week five and week 10 and you have to stop and you can't just jump in and code something and go, here's my, you know, here's my silly app. You have to stop and think about it and say, what would I do to solve this problem? And the thing I love there is that then when I go and interview with Jeff, who's my hiring manager, you can say, hey, what, would, what did you build? Oh, we worked on this really interesting problem and it started off with, here's the um, here's the pitch of the problem I'm trying to solve. And then as a team, we had to form who the team leader was. We had to break up the tasks. We had to do lean startup methodology of to do doing and done. right? So there's a whole bunch of things that are caught through that process, not just taught, around how am I going to work? What's my daily stand-up like? How am I going to report stuff back? Did I make things work or not work? When it broke, what did I do about it? So those are the things I love about the super practical side of what we teach in addition to you know, here's the line of code, make sure you can copy it, post it to Git, how are you going to manage it, right, those things. Oh, it didn't work. What happened? Yeah. Does Codefellows write much software to support this bootcamp experience or is much of it uh, just like kind of curriculum or what, what kinds of stuff are you guys creating to support the experience? So we're, it's the curriculum and then we use this, the both our curriculum management software um, and the rest of it is just our own homegrown things. But even even keeping the coursework fresh from session to session, Jeff, is important because there's a lot of the, you know, all the 201 work from the, the last 201 class is posted on Git. So this current class could come in if we don't keep it fresh and doing different things. It would be, you know, not that they're, we have a code of conduct that precludes them from copying, um, but if it's if the only curriculum if the curriculum never changes from course to course that's kind of a problem. Yeah, definitely. And like I see some of these boot camps that uh, are still teaching. So you said you do full stack JavaScript, right? Correct. Okay, yep. good. I was about to say uh, I see a lot of boot camps that are still doing like a lot of their curriculum in Rails, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's like necessarily a terrible thing, but I think it's kind of like. Uh, you know, it's kind of disingenuous in a sense because it's like uh, Rails is, you know, the the most desirable jobs are not in Rails. Totally. And, and Python is hard to place as well. There's definitely people who have a bias. So, <clears throat> excuse me, folks who are looking at pursuing a career in a startup, Rails is could be awesome. Um, but it's going to be because it does rapid prototyping well. It's not going to be because that's the best place to get a job. Right. And we're looking at every month our placement rate, what companies are hiring and who they're hiring. And the JavaScript um, courses are the ones that fill up the fastest because we push people that direction of, hey, listen, the most desirable jobs are going to be here. Yeah, I mean, I guess it – the thing is even the prototyping stuff is like that's not even really true about Rails anymore. It's like you can prototype in, in all, all JavaScript just as easily as you can prototype – in Rails, uh, and I don't know what, what bothers me about the boot camps that are still teaching in Rails is like uh, it's just you know a lot of these int- boot camp entrants they don't know any better, 
Like if, this is something that's pretty hard to suss out. I guess it's still subjective. Like I'm maybe I'm going to get some flack from some Rails boot camps at this point, but I really think that it's like, you know, if you're going to charge students to be a boot camp, you know, you should be giving them the the best tools. And anyway, totally. No, I agree with you. I think that's the. I think one of the challenges with the boot camps in general is that part of the reason we put the the one on one, two on three on one in place was people can't so you can always test into whatever program you want to get into with us so for example we're running our, our 301 right now we had two people that after the first few days said i need to jump back to the 201 i'm not ready so i tested into it but i'm not ready for it mm-hmm. and the same is true with the 401 so you're going to come test into the 401 javascript and if you don't test into it you can go take the 301 if you feel like you need to go back and take the 201 you can do that our, our goal there, again, is not about the tuition. It's about the can you do the work or not. And I think to your point, I think there's I think there's our industry as a whole has a historic reputation um, of for-profit universities placing or giving people dated curriculum that isn't going to help them get a job. Yeah. And or, I think that's or it helps them get a dated job. Right. Or it helps them, you know, for example, I think some of the universities are still stuck in that too. Right. It's this, this is the coursework. We're going to teach you how to build a website over 12 weeks of a quarter. And it's like 12 weeks, really? With all the tools out there, you need 12 weeks to teach somebody how to build a website? That's crazy. Yeah. Right. So, and you can finish it in two more years. And, you know, the, so if you look into other markets, like I just got back from Brazil, we're looking at opening an office there. The challenge there is in the computer science programs is they don't teach any current and relevant stacks, they only teach computer science out of the book as the professors will be teaching theory they're not actually coders so all of our instructors are actually coders rather than professors yeah so okay this is another one of these like touch points that i always encounter in these boot camp discussions um the difference between theory and practice uh, my perspective on this uh having gone through computer science uh, at University of Texas and also having worked a bunch of jobs, internships, um, writing my own projects. My perspective is that there, this whole theory practice dichotomy doesn't really exist. And the, the reason I say that is because we're at a point where computer science is so baked into everything that like this, any, anything you're discussing in computer science, even from a theoretical perspective it has a practical application. So if you are teaching something as theory, that is because you are structuring it in a way that is so far removed from the practical application that you're making a mistake. So if you want to actually teach something that is like very theoretical, like you can teach machine learning from a very theoretical standpoint and teach proofs around it or teach distributed systems from a very theoretical standpoint with lots of proofs, you can do that. That's fine. But uh, I think it do- generally does a disservice to students because you could just be teaching them uh, an applied version. You could be teaching them a practical version. Um, but I-, I don't know. I mean, I'm curious what your thoughts are on you know theory versus practice. Yeah, I mean, you know, my experience in education for adult education has been all around startups, and my experience with it, I think, mimics yours in the in the theory side is. If you look at a student who's taking an entrepreneurship course at a university and they have 12 weeks to get through the coursework, right? So in week eight, I need to be reading chapter 10. If I find out I have a shitty idea, then I'm going to go start over again in the real world, 
right? Because it's not about finishing the grade. So, and teaching theory about entrepreneurship is different than getting out and actually talking with customers and doing it. So, I think it parallels very much the same. I think there's a question of, you know, when you when you tell somebody, here's the problem, here's how we're gonna, here's a way to approach it, and then in the context of that, you teach them the theory as well. And there's that aha moment as an instructor. So, any any of us who've taught, and you're, I'm sure you're probably in that realm, you, you do it because there's those aha moments, right? Where you watch the student, and they're like, oh, mm-hmm. I finally get it, right? You're like, I always tell my kids, there's a difference between talking about photosynthesis and talking about maple syrup. Right, so once they understand maple syrup, and then they connect it to photosynthesis, they're like, "That's amazing!" But when you're talking about photosynthesis as a theory without any example that's completely useful that they relate to, the question is, "Yeah, I learned a theory. It's about photosynthesis. It's cool." Right? I just I love it when there's that aha moment for the students, and that's the stuff that keeps our instructors coming back every day. Yeah, is watching the light bulb go off where you're like, "They totally got it today." How effective are your instructors compared to computer science professors? I, you know, I was having this funny discussion with the UW, um, some folks at the UW, I won't say who, but, you know, they're building a new school there and it's amazing. And I think it will kick out another 115 students a year, um, which is great. It's a good, it's a good help. And they don't think programs like ours work. And all I can remind them of is oh my looking at the data, right? And because I don't think, I think there are, there are definitely people in our industry, Jeff, who are. You know, there's the articles that sell and get, you know, if you put a headline on this, Dave Parker from Codefellows says all computer science programs are horrible, right? You would get a lot more readership and views than if you said, no, Dave thinks there's a place for both of them, right? So there's regretfully the clickbait side of this debate says it's either or. I think if you look at the market opportunity for students, the answer is it's, it's clearly both. Um, so our instructors are passionate about being instructors, but they're passionate about being doers and coders as well. So we'll see people who will, will instruct for two years and then go take a job with a desire to come back because they want to keep their skills fresh and they want to work on interesting projects. And some of them, I hope, will come back, but not all of them will. So, so let me ask you this. Let's say uh, there's a student in a computer science program at a university listening right now, and mm-hmm. she's wondering... What is the best way to, I mean, you said there's room for both, right? There's room for university and there's room for these coding boot camps. How can that student suss out whether or not she should be in college or whether she should be in a coding boot camp? Yeah, so I thankfully Peter Thiel isn't on the line, so I can't say you, you should go drop out. Um, I think that it depends on where you're at in life, right? So if I look at most college tuition programs, a state school here at the University of Washington or Western Washington University will be $20,000 a year um, So versus $12,000 for a, a boot camp class. So college was great. I loved it. It was some of the best learning I had. Most of it wasn't in class. Right. right? So it was life learning, life experience. All those things were amazing. So I would say if you know, college is in your experience and you want to go have it and you can afford to do that, then you should definitely do it. Um, if, however, you're at a point in life where you're maybe a little bit older and you're not, you can't take two years off or four years off to go back to school, this is just an alternative choice. Um, is it still expensive? Yes. Regretfully, it's not very accessible yet. It's one of the questions we're trying to answer, which is 
how do we make this more accessible? How do we become, for example, the Tom Shoes of coding schools? Like for every person who pays to code, we're going to train somebody internationally in an emerging mm -hmm. world to code, right? Super interesting idea. Don't know they have the answer to it yet. But from a heart perspective, it's like, you know, that would be amazing. Because it, it if software is eating the world and, you know, Andreessen's right, it says that the ability to take software into markets that have never experienced uh, software before can fundamentally change and transform a company and a market. And oh, by the way, an individual's life, right? So if you look at our mission perspective, our mission is that software will change people's lives, companies, and community. And if we can keep doing that, then we have an amazing impact. So I didn't go back to your question though for a minute. Depending on where that person is in their life, the answer is this is just an alternative method it's not going to get you as far ahead in your CS degree as you will by going to the four years. But to your point, and it's orthogonal to it, to your point earlier, it is going to give you a chance to start a career in tech, which puts you in a, a, at the bottom entry level of a trajectory into an industry that could change the world. And if you want to go do that, then this is a great place for you. Well, yeah. I mean, one thing I think about is like if, if this student wants to stay – I mean – the motivation for staying in college I can that I can think of is like uh, versus a boot camp is like oh if I stay in college I can take courses on machine learning or courses on database architecture or something it's, you can't you can't really get that out of a coding boot camp but what I think about is like uh, if you're doing that stuff in school if you're learning that stuff in a university uh if that's your goal, I mean, wouldn't you be better served going through a boot camp quickly so you can get into industry and actually see this stuff in practice? And uh, I don't know. Anyway, that's a that's a, we don't need to we don't need maybe to yeah maybe I th I think that the the real question is is that you know when you my experience is with entrepreneurs if you talk to an entrepreneur class in college and you talk with starting with the idea of start with a problem and then build a solution. The problems they come up with are new dating apps because they don't have enough real-world experience to look at problems and, ex and experience them and express them in other ways. And that doesn't mean that dating is not a problem, right? But it doesn't also mean that we need more dating apps, right? So if you get somebody who's been in the military and served four years and two tours um, and they just look at the world different, right? I think at the core of it, Jeff, what's cool about software, the things that we love about it is – when you take somebody from a different industry and you drop them into uh, with CS experience into an Expedia, they're going to look at the world differently. Hmm. And I'm going to look at how I build software differently. And I'm going to look at my solutions differently. I love that, right? Because, you know, as you've probably done too, if you, once you switch industries, you come from, I, I came from the wireless industry originally and switched into software. In wireless, we just saw stuff differently, and I would look at the way software guys were doing it and go, well, why are you doing it that way? We did it this, <laughs> done it this way differently for years, right? And I think that's the thing that I love about this, this target demographic is I've got real-world problem-solving experience and skills that I'm bringing into this solution, and that's going to fundamentally change the type of products we build, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I came from from playing poker professionally. So I'm always marveling at the inability of software engineers to take risks. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, many of them are able to take risks, which are the ones who I love becoming friends with. Um, but so, 
military people, for example, sure. you you guys have uh, a, a drive to get scholarships to uh, bring on military people. Um, tell me more about these scholarships. What are the kinds of students that receive uh, scholarship tuition, and where are these scholarships coming from? You bet. So we announced uh, a little over six months ago a $250,000 scholarship campaign, of which we funded 180000 of it already from uh, what used to be what we call hiring partners. So folks like uh, Expedia and Tableau. And what those companies are after is they want more women, minorities, and veterans that they see through the process. And what they're not willing to wait for is they're not willing to fix K-12 through education and college education um, first in order to get those candidates jobs in tech. So what they do is they donate to the scholarship campaign. It's called the Pay It Forward Scholarship Campaign. We uh, then fund those students who qualify at 70% of tuition into the programs. So the application process is the student just has to apply, let us know that they have a need. We're not, we don't do FAFSA or anything like that. It's just more of a question of in your application process, we ask you if, it, if you would be, you know, would need it to have a scholarship to come to the program. It's an interesting, it's an, a little bit awkward in some ways because we don't, we're not looking at their financial data, right? So it could be somebody who can afford it versus somebody who can't afford it. And we're always trying to make sure we make, make the scholarship go as far as we can. Mm. So then it's at 70% funded. Um, so 70% of the full-time classes only. We don't do the evenings and weekend classes at this point um, for that. So it's just 70% of the full-time classes. And they're not limited to one. So they could come through and do the 201, 301, and 401 and get 70% of each of those. We think they need to have some skin in the game um, because we – I just know from personal experience in entrepreneurship, if you give stuff away for free, uh, those will be your highest rate of people who quit. Um, so we're still trying to find the mix for that. So we've done the same thing in Oregon. Um, we've raised $60,000 in Oregon. We've raised hundred and I think it's 170 of the 250 here. Um, and we'll keep raising funds against that. We have partners like Tableau who donate to it every quarter. And then when they hire to hire someone, they donate again. So it really is a, if they don't hire somebody that quarter, um, they just roll it into the next quarter and it's not, there's not a one-to-one ratio, so we're not selling Jeff into indentured servitude at Tableau. But um, the folks from Tableau want to come meet with those candidates halfway through the process and begin to build relationships with them so they can say, hey, this is why you should consider Tableau. Mm. So we're super excited about that. We've um, It's just ramping up. We have some of our first – like I said, this class of our 201 is 50% women. Um the word's getting out, and we're seeing more people who are um, coming in. I think in the case of the military, we did our first 101 class at uh, on Joint Base Lewis-McChord last month. And the cycle there is going to be we need to open an office in Tacoma as part of our uh, a plan we're considering right now to make it more accessible to them. Because we, we need to go to where they are, not just expect them to come to South Lake Union. Mm, okay. So the 50% women – uh, thing is really interesting. Like, how is that? How did you get that? How do you have fifty percent women taking your Code Fellows classes? I wish I could tell you so I could replicate it for the next one. Um, it just happened to be in this one. It's been averaging about twenty percent and going up um, in this particular class. Uh, again, it's the two hundred one. It's the front end web dev class. Um, so it's the the start of our funnel. I think one of the things that we've done is we've been very deliberate in reaching out to. Uh, meetup groups and other where folks are there going, wow, you have you have an option for me. 
Um, you know, we have women on staff, we have women instructors, um, more than half of my management team are, are women. So I think it's one of those where people get here and go, Oh, it's not a, you know, it's not a programmer mentality. Yeah. Location. Yeah. And you know, so I, I did a week of shows about women in tech and it, it was not easy to approach it correctly. Uh, and like initially I was like, I did not have the exactly the correct frame of mind uh on things so i'm curious like let's you know as two white males in tech let's talk about women in tech i mean what what is uh what do you think is the problem like what's uh or are we solving the problems or what what do you uh how do you see the the cultural landscape these days yeah, I mean, I think I, I feel a sense of huge sense of obligation um, about being a white guy in tech to help solve the problem, yeah, and not wait for other people to solve it. So I'm, for me, it's a partner with, not a do it for. Um, you know, I've, I'm surrounded by a bunch of strong women in my life. Uh, my mom was a single mom. I've been married for 28 years. Uh, any woman who can be married to me for that long clearly is a strong woman. So there's, you know, th- what I see right now. Um, is making it accessible for people and giving them an alternate view. Now, if you're trying to get a job at Google, they're going to hire from Stanford. If you're trying to get into Stanford CS, the odds of getting in as a woman are pretty low because the the market knows the odds of me getting in are very slim. Is that a bad thing? It's it's sad, but is it going to take time to change? It's going to take years to change because there's there's a system in place, right? And so I think one of the learnings there for Jeff, for me, is that Startup Weekend, uh, Google challenged just a couple of years ago to change our, our to change the approach we had to getting women to come to Startup Weekends. And that year we were able to go from 20% to 37% women in attendance. And it was by very deliberately reaching out and inviting them and including them. Uh, I think there's also some cultural norms we just have to be aware of. Like if you do a Startup Weekend women's edition, and by that I mean we went with 80% women versus 20% women. Um, what you would find is the women will wait to pitch their ideas until the end. And you have to continue to encourage, encourage folks to go, Hey, now, you know, don't, you know, cause dudes step up and be aggressive and right. And the women will wait. Our culture is a, a culture that shows, you know, historically, Hey, you should just wait your turn. Right. And that's not great. Um, but it is a reality. So let me contrast that with, I have an eight-year-old daughter we adopted from China. So I have three boys, and we adopted a little girl who's now eight. Um, she will give up on STEM education by this time next year if I don't encourage her not to. Mm. That's tragic. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just, just plain tragic. So so for me, it's a bit of a personal mission, right? Day of code and getting her involved with coding. And, you know, so what can I do as an individual? So. I look at this whole topic and go, well, there's certain dials I can impact. There's a bunch of stuff I can't do. I can't change Stanford's process. I can't change STEM education in Bellevue school districts. Um, what can I do? Well, I, I can scholarship women into programs. I can go to every meetup that has women involved with it and ask them to participate. I can have women on my team go out and show them that it's not just a bunch of white dudes who are, who are in computer science. So uh, of the things that I can control – we try to control those things. Um, does that make me, you know, awkwardly in conversation with folks? I think this, it's true with women, it's true with veterans, it's true with African Americans and minorities. We have Russell O'Coon's foundation um, we're working with to get our voice out there to tell people in the central district uh, um, about 
you know, we have access to this program for, uh, for minorities in tech. And, you know, we had a really interesting and awkward initial discussion with Russell around, hey, let's recognize the fact that I'm a white dude, right? And we're just trying to do the best we can and we don't have the answers. So I'm not coming with the answers. I'm just coming as I have, I have one hammer and there's certain things I can nail, right? Yeah. And I can't, I can't change central education schools. There's other people who are working on that that are doing amazing things. But working with Russell has been terrific because uh, not only is it fun to watch him play football for the Seahawks, but it's fun to have a guy who came back and he was running football camps and he realized that the football camps weren't really making a difference in those kids' lives. And he decided that this is the way he wanted to go make a difference in those kids' lives. So I will get behind anybody that wants to do something like that and I'll help them. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you mentioned the, how it's just like sad that these women exit STEM so early, but not only is it sad, but it's like a total waste. It's like super brain drain. Uh, you know, the, the idea of, of needing uh, diverse thought in the field of software or STEM in general, like mm-hmm. we need it. Um, so anyway, I, yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. I, I like everything. You so, said. and there's a timely note there too, just for your audience that this is, this is the hour of code week this week. So there's, there are places you can go this week to go volunteer as a coder and teach code to elementary school and middle school kids Right, just to get involved and to give back, and there's there's not enough of that yet, but it's moving the right way. And I would encourage those folks to, you know, hey, if you don't have kids, it's okay. You can still get involved, and we'd love to have you. Mm. Uh, there's not a great way to mobilize those folks yet, regretfully, but I, I'm I'm encouraged because I see the things that are happening there and go, it's better than it was five years ago. And you know what? In five years, it'll be better still. And for that, it's it's something, you know, I, I think there's a legacy for our generation of people in tech to say, what difference did we make? Because right now it's easy to say, oh, those, those you know, I was on a panel with a, a state uh, congressman last week for the WTIA, and he and I were talking about all the things we've done wrong, but, he, you know, very appropriately so focused on the fact of, hey, what can be our legacy to this generation be? And it's like focusing on that, I think, is that's where you and I can go make a difference. Great. Well, uh, that seems like a pretty good place to close off. Um, Dave Parker, thank you so much for coming out to software engineering daily. Is there, do you have any like closing thoughts or, uh, suggestions or uh, comments about, uh, coding boot camps, coding education in general software? Yeah, I think the, the only thing I'd say is if, if you are a listener and you have a friend who's always nagging at you about they need to make a career transition, um, tell them to come to the Code 101 and uh, and give it a try. And then they'll either stop talking to you about it or they'll actually pursue a career in code, whether it's with us or somebody else. So, Jeff, thanks for your time. I appreciate it today. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. Have a great day.